on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. On the 20th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, we catch up with the president of the Eastern Devils, Joe Watton, as her Devils take on Darabin and a special fundraiser for the Catherine Watton Scholarship Fund. In a special feature, we highlight the diversity of women's Australian football by catching up with the predominantly Muslim Auburn Giants women's side in Western Sydney and the predominantly Jewish side Ajax from the inner suburbs of Melbourne. And Caitlin Brady drops by to give us the lowdown on what's happening in South Australian women's football. All that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 20th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. We've got a big edition to get through, so let's just jump straight into it. It's going to be a massive day this Sunday, June 28th at Mulgrave Reserve. Not only is it second versus first in the VWFL Premier Division, the Eastern Devils taking on the Darabin Falcons, it is also the fifth annual Catherine Watton Cup, which is a fundraiser for the Catherine Watton Scholarship Fund. We'll have more details on that in just a moment's time with our special guest. A reminder, the girlsplayfooty.com will be there for a live broadcast of that match Sunday, 1.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. And remember, you can listen to us via the TuneIn app. Just search for Girls Play Footy Radio. Uh, I've got on the line the Eastern Devils president in Joe Watton. And uh, Joe, what a season it's been. It's been like a roller coaster, hasn't it? Yeah, look, it's probably the closest season in, in the top division we've had for a long time. And it's kind of flown by, as you said. We're sort of halfway, but it has gone quite quickly. Now, this Sunday at Mulgrave Reserve would normally be a special day in any context, second versus first. You're taking on uh, a Darabin in a, in a crunch game uh, and also to try and keep ahead of third, fourth and fifth respectively. But it's also a special day on a- another front, and that being the Catherine Watton Cup. Uh, what is the history of this cup? Yes, yeah, so um, obviously my sister Lou and I have been involved in women's footy for, for a long time. And um, our mum passed away from ovarian cancer back in 2006. And we started a, a scholarship fund in her name, my two sisters, myself, and a couple of mum's nursing friends, because she was a nurse for over 35 years. And really, it's just about um, providing some, some funds so that nurses can get further education um, to look after women who have sort of female sort of cancers. You know, ideally, we're going to find cures for these things and early detection tests. But in the meantime, we think it's really nice that there can be some specialist nurses who can look after women who are sort of going through their little cancer journey. Um, and just sort of after we started the fund, actually, there was the league had an ovarian cancer round and we thought, wouldn't it be great to, to have a cup to raise money for the fund? And I think that was back in 2010. I think we're up to year number five. Um, and on that on that bill in that in that first in that first year was Darabin, so that's how we sort of came about to to play them every year. Um, and look, it's just turned out to be just a wonderful day for the club. We thanks to our sponsor Megabelt, the team turns teal, so we wear special jumpers for the game, and it's just a great thing for the Devils and everyone else in the football community to get around. Now, the Catherine Watton Scholarship Fund, uh, you said you started it with your sisters. How did the original conversation come about and what were some of your early fundraising activities? Well, look, it was sort of um, thought of first by a couple of mum's nursing friends who thought it would be a great idea, given that she was a nurse in a nice way, to remember her. I I must admit, it took a little convincing probably on myself and my sister's part, just because there are so many, you know, charitable organisations around there. But this we thought this was something a little bit different. 
um, and something we could do. So the original plan was to raise 100 grand as a starting point. Um, and we've had so many, so many different sort of functions and fundraising activities from, from small to large. You know, I've had quite large luncheons and those sorts of things stuff around sport and the footy. We've even had a singles night, would you believe, or theatre night. So, you know, any any bit we could raise, big or small, um, we did. And we hit the 100000 mark at the start of last year. So the, the scholarships, we've started providing those scholarships. So that was a really nice um, point to see, I guess, for everyone who's involved. And nice to say, you know, every year we get up at the Casperton Cup, that last year we could say, you know, we've started this thing, it's really off and racing now. And how satisfying has it been to be able to hand over that first scholarship? Look, it was fantastic. As I said, you know, we've put in a bit of work over the, the last few years, so to see it come to fruition um, was, was really nice. It was, it was a nice little reward. Um, and, yeah, so hopefully it just sort of rolls on almost by itself now. And as you said on the day, obviously the players getting into it wearing a special teal jumper. Yeah, the girls, um, when we talk about the Devil family, and it really is sensational, they, they get around it, you know, as, as much as possible. We have our, our famous bake sale goes off with the girls putting their MasterChef hats on, have a barbecue and raffle and all those sorts of things. But even just the kind words you, you get from the girls. But also I think it's important, even though we are, we are a community sort of club ourselves, it's nice to be able to... Um, give back to something else. We do a couple of days throughout the year where we get the opportunity to do this and the girls really jump on board. And if I can point people in the direction of the macaroons that were made last time round for one of your fundraisers, (laughs) it's certainly worth the trip. Yeah, they certainly, they really do. They take their baking very seriously down the devils, let me tell you. So they're all A-grade. And as we've talked about the Devils, um, your opponents obviously in the game are the Darabin Falcons and we should mention they also help out in the day as well. Oh, look, they have been a sensational support, um, you know, both financially, which is fantastic, but also just um, they get a, get around the, the concept of the day and really enjoy being involved. It just has that extra um, specialty to it, I guess. It's not just your regular home and away game. And even I think the first two years we actually played it out at Darabin. Um, so they were a wonderful support to allow us to do that at their home ground. And now, you know, we're situated at Mulgrave and it works really well there. But, I, you know, I cannot speak high enough of, um, of Darabin's contribution really to the day also. Now, if people are looking for more information on the Catherine Watton Scholarship Fund or looking to make a donation if they can't be there at Mulgrave Reserve, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, all you have to Google is um, Catherine Watton Fund and you'll find the links online and you can donate through the website. It's as easy as that. And for you, how are you feeling leading up today? Not having to just obviously run around and organise everything for uh, the Catherine Watton Cup day, but again, it being that big clash, second versus first. Yeah, look, um, it's a big day. It's an exciting day. And look, I'd love to, you know, we the Devils don't have their name on the Catherine Watton Cup just yet. Um, so perhaps Sunday's the day. Um, you know, the, the seniors have, um, have had a really great year so far, particularly coming off what was really disappointing last year. Um, but really the only sort of blemish, as far as I see, is really our performance against Darabin, uh, the first time we played them this year. The first oh, 10 minutes was a cracking contest, and then the rest of the game was really Darabin. So obviously you need to play well for more than 10 minutes against Darabin to get the points. 
Um, so I think the girls are really keen to have another crack at them and just sort of show them the kind of form that they've been in this year. And we thank Jo for being generous with her time in what is no doubt a busy week as they prepare for that huge fundraiser for the Catherine Watton Scholarship Fund, the Catherine Watton Cup, uh, this Sunday at Mulgrave Reserve. If you'd like to know more about the Catherine Watton Scholarship Fund, just Google it or you can go direct to the website cathwattonfund.org and that's Kath with a C. And uh, please, if you've got a spare few dollars, please do donate to this uh, great cause. Now it's time to move to our special feature in this podcast. We wanted to highlight the diversity in women's Australian football by showcasing two clubs from two different cities with predominantly two different faiths. First of all, the predominantly Muslim Auburn Giants women's football side. Before we talk about off-field and the history of the club and how they came to be, let's talk on-field about how they're going at the moment in the Sydney Women's AFL Division 2. And that's why I've got on the line, and I hope I pronounce his name correctly. Please forgive me if I get it wrong, in Abdullah Kundi. Abdullah, thank you very much for joining us here on the GirlsPlayFooty.com podcast. Well, thanks a lot for having me, and we're all uh, big fans of the GirlsPlayFooty website and uh, Twitter account at our club, and... Uh, yeah, I guess uh, we can't complain when we're at the top of the ladder. We wouldn't really want to be anywhere else, would we? Is this the most successful year to date so far for the Auburn Giants? Uh, it certainly is. Uh, we, um, I think we're prior, prior to last year, we'd, we'd, I think, never won more than two games in a season. Last year, we, we just snuck into the finals for the first time. We had a purple patch in the second half of the season. But, but now this year, we're six from seven, and that's, uh, that's certainly the best we've ever been. And what do you think you put that down to, the success? What has made it all click this year? Well, I think, uh, very simply, it's just that the girls have started to love footy. Uh, and because they love footy, they want to learn more about the game and, and learn how to play it better. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, translated now out on the field into results on the field. And, of course, we've seen um, in the recent couple of years the uh, AFL women's exhibition matches. We know particularly in the uh, traditional states, Victoria, WA, if, for example, that uh, it's becoming a lot more professional in the way the girls prepare. Has this been filtering down, even down at Division 2 level in AFL Sydney, about the way the girls prepare themselves for the match? Has it changed dramatically over those last few years? Look, I think so. Uh, in terms of my limited experience, I've seen clubs go from... Um you know, only doing sort of half a training session once a week, uh, and we would have been one of them, to training a couple of times a week, to having team strategy meetings, uh, to, to really having uh, pretty well-structured game plans and, and coaching and management teams. So uh, it's certainly filtering down, and, and hopefully then we'll see uh, the women's players get even better, and, uh, and that will help the competition to grow. Uh, one of the recent matches you had was against one of the lower sides in the Moorbank Magpies, in, in which you won comfortably. Um, actually, how difficult is it for a coach when, you're, um, when your side's taking on one of the lower sides, when it's easy, when there's a run-on of goals, to make sure there's still discipline there, that everyone still keeps their structures? So obviously, you're taking that form week in, week out. Look, I think the, the first thing is that we uh, here at Auburn make sure that we always respect the opposition. And even if, you know, I mean, Moorbank had a period where they were really flogging up, um, and now they're just going through, I guess, a bit of a, a light patch. Uh, and, and, and clubs will always ebb and flow, you know, depending on the playing personnel that they have. Uh, so we just make sure that we respect the opponents every week and, and throughout the season, and also that we ultimately take it uh, kick by kick and, and quarter by quarter. Um, you know, we, we have a policy that no one here is as good as is anything more than their last kick or last handball or last one percenter, and, uh, and that's what keeps us going, I guess, through games where sometimes the scoreboard is a bit lopsided. And for you, who's been having a standout year so far? Uh, I think uh, we've actually had quite a few. We've had a new 
good player come who's uh, near the footy, and she's I think second or third on the on the goal kicking for the uh, for the competition now. Sonia Ismail is her name. Uh, we've had Liali Karahata, who's a fantastic uh, young player and has played Rips before, going through a fantastic period for, for our club for the first half of the season. She's injured now, but I mean I would expect that she would poll very well in the competition's best and fairest that at the end of the year, especially given that we've most uh, won most of the games that she's played in. Uh, and, and look, I mean, overall, I think, honestly, the team, just, just as a team unit, is really functioning uh, pretty well. Uh, and uh, and as I said, that's, that's what we try and culture here. This year, we actually have no reps players. I think every other team, even including Moorbank, uh, have representative players. We don't. So uh, we haven't got one hero that we can rely on. We need to make sure that the team's functioning as a team. Am I correct in saying, though, that um, I think Lyle Kasim, who now plays for the Western Wolves, originally was an Auburn player? She certainly was, uh, and Lyle is a, is a prodigious footballer. Uh, I mean, she, she would play well in a men's comp if it were possible to play mixed sex uh, in open age. And she was, a, she was a massive loss in terms of personnel to the club, but, but likewise, I think that Lyle needed the opportunity to really test herself and, and her ability, and so... Uh, you know, she's gone to the Western Wolves with our best wishes and, and is carving up there, which is fantastic. But, so we're really happy um, that, that she's doing well and that overall the state of women's footy in Western Sydney is uh, just getting better and better. And uh, also on the western side of town, uh, not too far away, you've got uh, the Blacktown Magic, which were a new club. And at the moment, they've been going along great. I think five wins in a row. So certainly another challenge uh, from the local area. That, that's right. Uh, as you probably know, we, we beat Blacktown on their first uh, hit out uh, in the competition. And and, uh, and it wasn't a comfortable win. The scoreboard certainly didn't uh, represent how tough a win it was for us. And I heard that you had John on a, a couple of weeks ago, and that was a cracking interview. Well done. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to playing them again. We play them in two weeks' time here at, our, uh, sorry, at their home ground. And uh, hopefully we'll have, a, have another cracking game against them. Uh, personally, as a coach, what would you like to see the side uh, 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 get better at as you get close to the finals? Uh, what KPIs, what targets are you trying to set to make sure that the standard lifts and uh, hopefully you get your hands on that Premiership Cup? At the moment, we're focusing on making sure that we convert inside 50s to goals. Uh, our scoring shot ratio this year has been pretty poor. Uh, at times, it's been 10 behinds to the one goal, and that's not including, obviously, the out on the pools. So, so that's our big KPI at the moment. Um, but every week we focus on, on clearance rates, uh, we focus on one percenters, uh, and we also focus on how well we're clearing out of, out of the back line. So they're, they're the key things that we focus on, but, but certainly in the short term, we really want to get our kicking uh, ratio down to something a bit more respectable. We thank Abdullah very much for his time. Now let's focus on the history of the Auburn Giants Women's Football Club and how it all came about. And that's why I've got on the line Abna Kasa Hassan. Uh, Abna, thank you very much for joining us. So please, got us through the, the history of the Auburn Giants Women's Football side. So we started originally as the Auburn Tigers. There was a men's side and my cousin played for them. And we just said to me, it's such an amazing game. Um, people almost in Sydney don't know what this great game is. You really should give it a go and start a women's side. So I messaged every single girl I knew and said, hey, do you want to try playing footy? And that's exactly how it started, just a bunch of random people I knew. And I'm a very, I'm a socialite. So a lot of girls I knew, I just approached everyone. And about 30 to 50 girls, you know, in that first couple of months of training, came in and out, some stayed, some left. But the interest was there, and the rest is history, as they say. 
That is sensational because I was about to ask the question, how hard is it to get that interest uh, for Aussie rules in in Western Sydney, what is traditionally a, a rugby league and soccer area? Oh, look, I play summer soccer and Oztag to recruit girls. I'll probably pick up basketball once my football season ends because you have to play other sports to meet girls who are interested in sport. And then once you build rapport with them, um, it's a bit better at bringing them in. But so much goes into the recruitment plan. It's not easy. The love of the game is not there. The knowledge of the game is not there. And it's hard if you have girls from multicultural communities where their families understand soccer and league. And they say, well, my family's not going to understand any if they're sitting on the sideline. And that's really important. So it's bringing everyone in, getting them all to buy into the club and into the game so that we can sustain the club. It's interesting to note as well that you first began as the Tigers and, and then became the Giants through a partnership with the GWS. How did that come about? Um, we were a standalone women's club and it only made sense with GWS and us being one of the two Western Sydney squads at the time um, to have a conversation and see whether there was an opportunity for us to develop an MOU and adopt their colours and they were open to the idea, we were open to the idea, it was just the right time, right place and right people having the conversation. And indeed, it happened in the end, and it's opened many doors for you, including one of them which you were getting support um, uh, through Harvey Norman. And again, how did that conversation come about? Um, I was on, a, on an aeroplane with some random bloke, and we were having a chat, as you do, and he told me that it was his last day with Harvey Norman, and they were great employers, and it was a 20-year career, but it's time to move on. And I said, oh, it's so hard to get in the door with big organisations like Big Business. You know, how do, I do, how do I do that? How do I go about it? Could you give me some tips? And he said to me, you know, everything you've told me about your women's club, Katie Page would back it. She loves things that are about women in leadership position. It really sounds like it's right up her alley. You should set up a meeting. And so I waited until I actually saw her at the fairgrounds for the West Dinner. Um, went up, shook her hand, said, hi, I'm, I'm not, this is who I am, this is what I'm about. I would love to come and chat with you. And she was very open to the idea. I met her and the rest just followed. Like, it was amazing. I never imagined that we'd get this kind of support, to be honest. And, of course, you have in what has been uh, described as predominantly uh, a Muslim club. Um, uh, with that as well, and I think to Basha Hawley, of course, who played for Essendon and uh, Richmond, obviously he has to, uh, a prayer schedule and uh, a Ramadan to observe. Um, what about f- for you? How does that affect the way that you play and, and what you have to consider about how you prepare? So for us, I guess, in Ramadan, fasting is important. And fasting is not just about refraining from food and water about being disciplined and it's really hard when you play footy like especially um, contact sport you can get really passionate and worked up so first it's about maintaining that discipline at the moment uh, sitting top of the table uh, what's the feeling like around the club because as we spoke to Abdullah earlier um, he described how in earlier years you had a few wins and last year you snuck into the finals and now it just seems to be all clicking together top of the table well, we have a good coach. He doesn't take much credit for it, but it makes all the difference in the world, and that's been a big struggle for us in previous seasons. And it will be a big struggle for us next year when our coach heads off to Albury to pursue his career. Um, but it, it's an amazing feeling, and we tell the girls, you know, this is about taking ourselves seriously and being more than everything we've been. Everything we've achieved has been fantastic. It's great that we're a multicultural club. It's great that we're playing AFL Western Sydney. It's great that we've predominantly got Muslim women 
challenging misconceptions about Muslim women. But we need to do more than that. We need to deliver on the football field. And to do that has been phenomenal. It's probably the most rewarding part of the experience so far. And since you've uh, had that success at being top of the table and obviously being on Sunrise as well, promoting your club, have you seen an increase in interest uh, for women wanting to take up the game and play at your club? Not in terms of recruitment, but definitely like on our Facebook page, you have more people come and visit and like your page. Um, We get inbox messages from people just supporting us and, and saying something nice. The support is out there and the more exposure we have, it's not just about Auburn for me, it's about women playing AFL and exposure for the game. Uh, especially in Western Sydney, I think the Western Sydney teams, we're all in it together. So there's Penrith, Blacktown and Moorbank as well. And they would have the same struggles we have in terms of recruitment and it not having a legacy in Western Sydney. Would you enjoy the challenge of soon going up to Division 1 if all went well? Um, I would love to say that we would go up if we won the grand final, but I don't think we will just because I don't think it's sustainable. Uh, our player retention rates sit at about 60% every year, and if you're getting a new squad of 40% every year, then you have 40% of your team learning the game. And it just wouldn't be fun if they went out there every week and got smashed. Mm. We're developing our youth girls squad at the moment, and so what would be the best option is in five years from now, when those girls are all playing senior football, they have a knowledge and understanding of the game. So if they played at a more competitive level, if they played at Division One, that would be fine. But I think if we lose our coach next year and we jump up to Div 1, we'd probably be shooting ourselves in the, in the leg. And you just talked about that with youth girls. What is the junior program like there for Auburn and throughout the Greater Western Sydney area? Um, so... Auburn is the only Western Sydney team in the youth girls comp. The rest are in the Sydney Harbour region. So the girls go out to Manly, Maroubra, Mossman, uh, Dremoyne, and they play these teams. So we organise a bus, we get them all together, and we drive them out there. The bus trip is part of the experience for them. All our girls, have, same, same as when I started, have no understanding or knowledge or experience of the game. Um, it's totally new to them, so they struggle a bit, but they play with a lot of heart and they really enjoy themselves. We give them small goals, every single quarter to focus on, and if they achieve those goals, then that's the win. There might be no high tackles, no penalties, no kicking in danger, um, take a mark, you know, try bounce the ball, whatever that goal is, that's their win. So we focus on those small wins. Uh, I would like to see the youth girls comp grow across across Western Sydney. That would be fantastic, and I'm sure it will in the coming years. And I thank Amna very much for her time and wish all the girls there at the Auburn Giants all the very best for the remainder of season 2015. They're currently sitting at the top of the table in Division 2. Can they hold on? Can they win the flag? Keep an eye on girlsplayfooty.com throughout the year as we do our weekly reviews of what's happening in Sydney AFL in the Women's Division 1 and Division 2. Now let's move to another city, another club and another faith. Uh, We move to Melbourne in the inner suburbs of Albert Park Lake, Gary Smorgan Oval, and the predominantly Jewish Ajax Football Club. Their coach for their inaugural women's season is Marnie Rosenberg. She coached the St Kilda Sharks last year to the Division 1 Premiership. She was almost going to hang up the coach's whistle and have a year off, but instead 
She was dragged out of retirement to take on this uh, honour of being the first ever women's coach at the Ajax Football Club. And that's why I have her on the line. Marnie, thank you very much for joining us. Can you guide us through the, a very brief history of the Ajax Football Club? Sure. So um, it's obviously predominantly a junior football club and a men's club. Uh, well established over many, many years. In fact, my uh, great uncle was the very first captain of the uh, senior side very, very long time ago. Um, and the women's women's team obviously came about um, based on some very, very keen and interested young girls who thought that they'd like to start up a team. And, of course, the Ajax Football Club, as we know, predominantly Jewish football club coming from that community of uh, St Kilda and Caulfield. Yes, a lot in that area. There is a slightly wider community, but, yeah, predominantly in that area. Now, of course, before you came to Ajax, uh, you originally with the St Kilda Sharks for um, 12 years and, of course, last year was successful in uh, winning the Division One flag. Am I heard right that you're almost ready to hang up the boots uh, for a year until the Ajax option came along? Yes, that's correct. So I um, had obviously resigned. I needed a bit of a rest after going straight from playing into coaching for three years after playing. And um, I was approached by the vice-captain of the Ajax Football Club and he just asked me to just pop down and have a bit of a chat to the girls and let them know what women's what to expect in women's football. And it wasn't long after that that he pretty much roped me in. And how hard is it to, to take on that role of essentially a brand new side and having to recruit players, and particularly a lot of players as well who are taking up Aussie rules for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is hard um, based on different levels of skill. So unfortunately, not many of the girls had played any sort of football before besides a few of them having played at um, high school against their other, other high schools in the same area. So uh, it because I hadn't had a huge amount of experience with junior football, it is. I found that it probably would be similar to that in terms of the disparity between the better uh, players and the ones that are just really starting from scratch. Having said that, the um, some of the girls that have played at school footy are obviously so super keen that they did have a lot of skill already. So they sort of helped to bring those less skilled players up and, and it, it has actually worked out quite well. Is it hard to be able to try and set goals for a team to achieve in a first season without knowing what really you've got on your hands? Absolutely. And I think um, that also stems from the VWFL, who are obviously trying very hard to build uh, women's football at a senior level and obviously through the ranks, through the juniors as well, and not knowing um, at what level these brand-new teams are in. So as I'm talking about um, Ajax, they obviously have quite a disparity between uh, the best player and obviously the player who's not quite as good or less experienced and then just popping them into the same division, which this particular division is Division 5. It has actually made it quite um, tricky to to almost grade them. So the disparity between the top teams in Division 5 and the bottom teams is quite, quite large. So that is a bit of a challenge for the um, AFL Victoria, but I think that's something that they'll smooth out over years to come. And obviously some different rules in the Development League as well when it comes to numbers. Yeah, definitely. Um, We've actually been very, very lucky. We started with a squad of 34 and uh, probably only lost a couple of players um, through injury, which is very, very lucky. 
So, um, yeah, we've got a very strong squad, but there are certainly other teams that, that do struggle with numbers, especially um, as a, a brand-new side just trying to recruit players. And, and I think there may have been two teams in our division that dropped out basically before the, the uh, competition started. Uh, those being Bulling, Templestowe and uh, Seville Rangers. And, of course, you've got, th- you've got three clubs also in your, in your competition, uh, Endeavour Hills, Knox and Montmorency, who are all fielding uh, their second side. Correct, yeah. So they've they've all got two teams, which is fantastic. And us being the, the predominantly the division below their signature side, um, they also tend to sort of struggle with numbers at times too. So, And what's the support been like from uh, the men's club, particularly as well that you've got the next AFL player in Marty Pasca coaching the men's Ajax side? Yeah, well, it's, been, it's actually been fantastic. I'm not used to um, being at a club where the men's club is very, very heavily involved um, in the support of the women. So at the St Kilda Sharks, they're very much a standalone club, even though that the men are sort of in the background. Um, it's very different to Ajax, where uh, the girls are so excited to have boys around, as are the boys so excited to have the girls around. We've had um, social functions with them, uh, dinners on Thursday nights where the boys read out their teams and then the girls read out their teams as well. Um, dinners and so forth. So, yeah, Marty Pask has been fantastic as well. He's been very welcoming, having a chat to the girls. And we tend to train on the same nights as them as well, which is good. So we get to see them running around and the girls kind of look around and see the skill that they play with and hope that they can sort of somehow improve. So it's it's been fantastic. And the, the president and the vice presidents at Ajax are absolutely supportive and, and the girls absolutely adore them, which is good. So... And you, could, well. and you couldn't get a more picturesque location as well with Gary Smorgan Oval being on Albert Park Lake. Yeah, the best thing is is um, on the way in, I get to drive in and I see the sun setting down on the uh, across the the buildings there, and it is absolutely stunning. That I don't think the girls appreciate it to be honest. It is really, really pretty, beautiful place. And, and you've almost had a dream start to the season as well. At the moment, you're currently sitting in third position, four wins, two losses, and only really just behind Gippsland on percentage. Yeah, so we we actually we've played Gippsland twice due to those two teams dropping out. Uh, I think we get to play Gippsland for a third time as well later on in the season. But uh, we managed to travel two hours. We, we hired a bus and the whole crew travelled out to Gippsland and we we actually won that game and then unfortunately played them the following week at home and they, they beat us. So that was a bit disappointing and probably not the best for our percentage. But I, I dare say we uh, us, Gippsland and Rosebud are the three top teams in the competition this year. So. And that'll be put to the test again uh, this weekend when you travel down to Rosebud. Correct, yeah. Down to Rosebud this weekend. The girls are very excited because we did play a practice match against them before the season and the girls had a a fantastic time and Rosebud were extremely welcoming. So, yeah, hopefully we can uh, win again as we did in the practice match and, and stamp our authority on their home ground. And I thank Marnie very much for her time and wish her side all the very best as they take on Rosebud this weekend. A big clash, third versus first in Division 5 East of the Victorian Women's Football League. Now it's time to catch up with a quick wrap of what's happening in South Australian women's football. Uh, We've got the under-18s finals coming up this weekend. Plus, we're at the halfway mark of the season in the uh, Open Women's uh, Division 1 and Division 2. And that's why I have on the line the administrator of the South Australian Women's Football League in Caitlin Brady. Caitlin, thank you very much for joining us here on girlsplayfooty.com. And, uh, well, busy end of the season for you, particularly with the uh, under 15 
15 round robin carnival that was uh, played just last week. Yeah, it was great. Um, we finished up on Friday night and all the girls had uh, great fun. So, yeah, that was really good. And uh, Salisbury bringing the champions there. And now you jump straight into another final series as well for the uh, under-18 youth girls, uh, starting from this Friday night. Yeah, they've got semifinals down at uh, Kellett Reserve this Friday night. So there'll be two really close games to, to watch. Indeed, uh, the first battle, of course, being between uh, the third side, Modbury, and uh, Anglevale. Am I right in Angle, Salmon? Anglevale. Yep, that's Nearly it. tripped up. And, but uh, the clear front runners um, and only one loss each, uh, Salisbury and Morpherville Park facing off in the major semi-final. Yeah, it's going to be a great game, two really close games. Um, they play each other twice throughout the season and each recorded a win. So I think um, they'll be one to watch. And uh, with it being Friday night football as well, how's that working as a success in, in South Australia? I think it's worked really well with the juniors. I know um, a lot of the parents love it on a Friday night. A lot of the administrators love it because obviously they're pretty, um, pretty sort of tired out from the weekend. So they've got a, a free night on Friday night. So I think it's worked pretty well. And I guess it allows for some of the girls as well, some of the more elite under-18s girls, uh, to back up to play exactly Division right. 1 or Division 2. Yeah, yeah, they love it. More footy. Indeed, and let's quickly focus on that as well, uh, Division 1 and Division 2 football. We begin in Division 2, and it seems like the clear front runners are Anglevale and Adelaide University. Yeah, definitely, and, and again, two really uh, close teams on the ladder. They've played each other twice down each quarter to win, so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Interesting to have a look at uh, Division 1 at the moment. Obviously, the bottom two sides, Mopri and uh, Ingle Farm. Yeah. But uh, it seems to be a bit of a, a logjam from fourth going upwards. Salisbury's been competitive. Greenacres is there about. And last year's premiers, West Adelaide and Morpheville Park, being the front runners. Yeah, I think um, Morphys and Westies is going to be It's going to be a battle to the time they play each other. They've each had a win. So it um, be really interesting to see who finishes top. Um, Greenacres and Salisbury, again, um, two really close teams at that next tier down, I think. Um, and, yeah, Modbury, Modbury and Ingle Farm, you know, they're two new and developing teams. So, yeah, I think we should um, watch out for all the teams, really. Never know who's going to get into finals. And what have the numbers been like uh, for fans coming across to watch the SAWFL this year? Uh, with uh, new players? Or? Yeah. Uh, and actually, no, with, with spectators as well uh, in, in attendance. Um, has there been a greater awareness um, of uh, SA women's footy? Yeah, definitely. Since um, linking up with the Amateur Football League, I think that's um, really got a bit more of a buzz around it. Um, I know there's been you know, a few news stories on Channel 9 who are partnered with the Amateur League, so um, that's been really good for, for women's footy. And as well, we should point out, uh, Danielle Godding, of course, and, uh, and uh, yeah. CJ Cramey, uh, obviously uh, pulling on the jumper for Melbourne in the AFL yeah, Women's Exhibition match. Yeah, it's great. Great um, with, you know, a lot, of, a lot of buzz around that as well. And I think they're two really great role models that will just um, continue to help grow the sport in SA. Well, what makes Morpherville Park and West Adelaide so strong, of course, uh, being up there again uh, from last yeah. year's uh, grand final? Um, they've... They've worked tirelessly during the pre-season. I think that, that's what set them apart from the rest. They've um, started training you know, in November last year and doing Uniloop and, and a whole range of things. So I think that, that's why they're up there this year. And, of course, Morpherville Park with that added advantage of their coach being Narelle Smith, who, of course, uh, uh, led yeah. the state side to that fantastic win over the Northern Territory. Yeah, she did. She's, um, she's a valuable resource um, for female football in SA. And I think... Um, you know her and, and Wessie's coach um, Naomi Maidment, who she's involved with the SNFL coaching as well um, with West Adelaide. So I think they're two really great coaches, and they definitely contribute to their success.
Now, of course, if people want to keep a track of the uh, under-18 Youth Girls uh, uh, finals that are occurring from this Friday night, uh, yep. where can they go to get all the details? Uh, visit the website, so it's sawful.org.au, or on our Facebook page, which is SA Women's Football League. And we thank Caitlin very much for her time. Almost time for uh, me to get out of here and wrap up another girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Remember, if you've got a story idea, something that we should be following up to put in an article or someone to interview for our podcast, make sure that you post on our Facebook page or send us an email girlsplayfootyradio at gmail.com would certainly love to hear from you and don't forget the uh, Catherine Watton Cup will be live on girlsplayfooty.com radio uh, this Sunday 1.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time bounce down 2pm the Eastern Devils taking on the Darabin Falcons tune in and also please Google search Catherine Watton Scholarship Fund and if you can please donate a few dollars to that I'm Peter Holden it's been a privilege having your company and I look forward to speaking to you again next week for another girlsplayfooty.com podcast.